You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Attaboy Clarence. Delightful of you to join me today. What's coming up? Well, we're spending some time in the company of one of the finest but most underappreciated leading men from Hollywood's golden age. I'll be telling you all about a thrilling trilogy of movies, all featuring this dazzlingly talented gentleman, including a pre-code crime shocker, an old dark house murder mystery with a very intriguing background, and a Hollywood satire with added spies. All of that is coming up later. First up, I just wanted to give a brief shout out to my friend Scott, host of the Rainbow Valley podcast, the Stinking Paws podcast, and the Real Britannia podcast, Busy Chap. He's just begun a new endeavor, the Rainbow Valley Chart Show, and get this. Each Sunday, he hosts a chart rundown revisit of every single week of music from 1960 to 1970. If you are a 60s music fan, then it is a wonderful way to spend your Sunday, and Scott is a great host. I'll leave a link in the show notes, or you can search it out for yourself. That's the Rainbow Valley Chart Show. Secondly, I have partnered up with Warner Home Entertainment, who are currently celebrating their 100th anniversary by revamping some of their older classics and giving them the 4K treatment. I have a limited number of movie bundles, each of which includes brand new 4K versions of The Maltese Falcon, Cool Hand Luke, and Rebel Without a Cause. These are digital movie bundles, so you don't need to worry about region codes or discs shipping all over the place. If you are a patron of mine, look for the competition posts coming in the next week or so over at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. And if you're not a patron, then why not sign up there now? I'll also be giving some bundles away on the next episode of Attaboy Clarence, so make sure you're subscribed here and download immediately in order to have the best chance of winning. On with the show for today, though. I'd like to throw this episode on over to one of the best and most consistent leading men of old Hollywood, and one who really should be more appreciated these days, Mr. Ricardo Cortez. Very versatile leading man, he played the first ever Sam Spade in the original pre-code version of the Maltese Falcon in 1931. He had a great go at playing Perry Mason after Warren William when he appeared in The Case of the Black Cat, and many think that because of his name and his sultry exotic looks, that he was from Latin America. Indeed, the studios liked to push that image in order to broaden his appeal to the ladies. But he was actually born Jacob Krantz in New York City to a Jewish family and was never anywhere near Latin America. In fact, when word began to spread that Cortez was not Latin, the studio swiftly switched their tune and proclaimed that he was Viennese. And that story seemed to stick. But in reality, he was nothing of the sort. He was Jacob Krantz 
from NYC, who just so happened to have that suave demeanor that had served the likes of Rudolf Valentino so well. Exotic was his brand. And it certainly served Ricardo Cortez very well throughout his career. And what a career. Not only was he a popular leading man, he could also switch to character actor and ably propped up several wonderful star vehicles. He also had a short but prolific stint as a director, overseeing seven films for 20th Century Fox in just two years, all B-movies. And then when his time was up in movie land, he retired gracefully and went back to New York, where he worked for the remainder of his life as a stockbroker on Wall Street, enjoying a very successful and very lucrative third act in his life. Ricardo Cortez was truly one of the most talented guys in Hollywood's golden age. And so today, I want to tell you about three of his more overlooked screen turns that definitely deserve your attention. Loretta Young heads the bill in our first outing, Midnight Mary, a pre-code shocker about one girl's determination to thrive in a city full of rats. Right from the off, you can tell we're in for a bumpy ride. Here's the very first scene. Mary Martin has killed a man. The state demands a full penalty for this crime. You cannot allow sentiment to prejudice your verdict. She's had a police record from the age of 14. This woman is a criminal. Mary Martin is a menace to society. Her guilt has been proved beyond the shadow of a doubt. She is stubborn and refused to tell why she fired that fatal shot. Her vicious criminal career, her cold-blooded confession, her very indifference throughout this trial. All make your duty clear. Mary Martin has taken a life. She must pay for it with her own. The people of the state of New York appeal to you for justice. Mary, played by Loretta Young, is on trial for murder, but who was her victim and did she do it? That's the film's opening salvo, and before we know it, we're being whisked back in time to find out for ourselves. Beginning rather brutally, we're present when Mary's mother dies, which forces her out on the streets. After a brief stint in jail, when she's mistakenly arrested for thievery, she falls in with Leo Tracy, played by Ricardo Cortez, a low-level hood who's slowly working his way up the ranks of the criminal classes and who wants the radiant Mary to be his arm candy. Sit down, boys. We've got to talk business. Are you interested? Go on, honey. Relax. You're going to stay. Sure she's going to stay. Besides, it's raining outside. Oh, what have I got to lose? Now you're talking, baby. You don't see any ribs sticking out on us around here, do you? And you're not going to. He's a pretty smart boss, Mary. Listen, I'm going a long way. I got it all figured out, see? And those that stick with me won't have a thing to worry about. All Mary wants is a quiet life, but doors are constantly being slammed in her face due to her criminal record. With little option remaining, Mary is forced to join Leo's shady gang, who one night rope her into helping them as they rob a casino. During a shootout, Mary is rescued by suave lawyer Tom, played by Franco Tone, who, recognizing that she's actually a good kid with a heart of gold, manages to spirit her away and start her off in a new, wholesome kind of life. But it isn't long before the vengeful Leo comes looking for her. I tell you I'm through. My life's my own, isn't it? I don't owe you a thing. That's the way you feel about it, Mary? You could do a lot of harm dropping a word or two at the wrong time. After all, it's a mouthpiece you're working for. Oh, lay off. Mary's got sense. 
Sure, Mary's on the level, she is. Oh, shut up the whole lot of you. Okay, kid, if that's what you want. You don't owe us a thing. You can go whenever you want to. But remember this. You'll come back crawling. And maybe I'll let you in. This is directed by king of pre-code, William Wellman, and his tough-as-nails sensibilities really help you to sympathize with Mary's plight. I think there's sometimes a tendency to glamorize the criminal life in these early gangster movies, but you're never in any doubt here that life is cheap and that these guys are the cruelest brand of vipers. The story is by every girl's best friend, Anita Luce, and so what you get is not some man's version of a woman's story, but a gut-wrenchingly real, sometimes uncomfortably honest version of what life was like for girls in society back then. Being a pre-code film, these are characters who are tossed around like meat, and yet somehow still cling to the small flame of innocence and beauty that they were born with. It's a remarkable piece of writing. Mary, in particular, loves art and creativity, but there's little time for that in her kind of life. And when you glimpse that side of her, it does make her story all that more heartbreaking. I would also just point out that this does contain some rather upsetting violence, particularly in one scene where Leo attacks Mary. So if you feel like you might be triggered by that kind of thing, maybe this is one to miss. It is pre-code. So anything goes. And if you think about Wellman's The Public Enemy, it does have that vicious vein running through it. Young and Cortez and Tone are all brilliant in the film. It's a tough watch at times, but ultimately rewarding. Find out for yourself if Mary is guilty and which side of the fence that you come down on in the film's final moments when the court's verdict is reached. That's Midnight Mary from 1933. A mystery now, but with a very interesting heritage. The Phantom of Crestwood began life as a radio series. Between August and September of 1932, NBC broadcast a serial thriller that built in tension as the weeks went on. The mystery was set up, and the broadcasters invited listeners to write in, giving their own solutions, with a prize fund of over $6,000 being shared by around 100 listeners who provided the best ones. Audiences were then invited to visit their local cinema screens in order to find out who killed Jenny Wren, the blackmailer who meets a sticky end. RKO Pictures produced the screen version, which begins with a delightful recap of the competition, the rules, and what audiences could expect from NBC's Graham McNamee. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen of the motion picture audience? This is the national broadcasting company, Graham McNamee speaking. You have listened to the final chapter of the Phantom of Crestwood radio broadcasts, which ended with the mystery still unsolved. Who killed Jenny Wren? Who killed Carter, her companion? You are invited to submit your own original ending for the story and 100 prizes, totaling $6,000 in cash, were offered for the best endings. The National Broadcasting Company and RKO Radio Pictures have received thousands of original endings for the story. Of course, as we told you over the air, the winning endings need not necessarily be the same as that used in the motion picture. We have kept the solution of this mystery a secret for many months, but now that the contest is closed, you are about to see the mystery unraveled before your very eyes on the motion picture screen so that you may compare your ending with that of the motion picture. 
the phantom killer of Jenny Wren is still at large. Who is that killer? We take pleasure on behalf of RKO Radio Pictures in presenting to you the Phantom of Crestwood. Graham McNamee signing off. Jenny Wren, played by Karen Morley, is a courtesan who spent her professional life working her way through the grand old men of high society. Now she wants out, but she wants to take a fortune with her, so she gathers her conquests in one room and announces that in order to keep her silence about their affairs, they'll have to pay handsomely. I'm quitting early, gentlemen, before I'm on the rummage counter. I'm sailing out at high tide, and I'm taking enough cold cash with me to ensure me of a comfortable old age. You didn't know that you'd all been gambling on the same green, did you? Will Jones, I want $50,000 from you. Why, you... I don't think that's too much to ask of the lumber business. My business is on the verge of bankruptcy. I, I haven't got $50,000. You'll get it. Priam will lend it to you. You, Priam, with your bank in such good condition, you can afford to double that, Auntie. 100000 from you. Why, I can't afford it. Yes, you can. Mac, you're broke, aren't you? Yes, ma'am. Mm, 25,000. Soon afterwards, Jenny is found dead, poisoned, by a dart in her neck. But who will be able to solve the crime? Well, luckily, on hand, is the gloriously named Fans Barnes, played by Ricardo Cortez, who's at the house for his own set of shadowy reasons. In fact, he's not entirely on the up and up himself, and if the police arrive before he figures out who the killer is, then he'll almost certainly be the one they arrest. Can Fans Barnes work out who killed Jenny Wren before it's too late? If I'm even seen around trouble, they'll save themselves a lot of exercise by simply tagging me. Seat me in the electric chair and watch me fry. What are we going to do, Chief? Grab the murderer and turn him over to the cops before the cops grab us. How can we do it? We don't know who killed her. That's what I'm going to find out. As all Dark House murder mysteries go, this is rather well done. I do find that, outside of the solution, most of these kinds of movies spend inordinate amounts of time creeping slowly through dark rooms into yet more dark rooms. And I do find myself drifting off a little. This one is wall-to-wall -wall incident. Ricardo Cortez is superb as the gumshoe with the secret agenda, and he's ably assisted by a cast including Karen Morley, Anita Louise, H.B. Warner, and Gavin Gordon, so there's quality up and down the cast. It's creaky in areas, but always engaging, and just when you think you're treading that familiar formulaic line, it manages to rev up the engine with some genuinely impressive techniques. There's a flashback effect that's really worth mentioning, in which the whole screen whirls around. Delightful. And I won't spoil what happens in the actual flashback, but it actually took my breath away. It's not going to change your life or anything, but as a vintage curio where radio met cinema in the most inventive way, it's really rather charming and definitely worth your attention. That's The Phantom of Crestwood from 1932. Lastly today, Ricardo Cortez, the suave movie star, playing a Lothario movie star in a film that I've been trying to hunt down for some time now. Well, I finally managed to get my hands on 1941's world premiere. A satirical look at the inner workings of Hollywood with a handful of Nazi spies thrown in for good measure. Yes, it's as wacky as it sounds. And here's a clip. Signor Scaletti, 
You know what to do when you arrive in Hollywood, no? All the things in my power to injure the motion picture which abuses our cause. A friendly tip. Confine your activities to duty only. Sightseeing and joyous living you will scrupulously avoid. I know my orders. Signor Gavotti knew them too. But he... He chose to disregard them. You are replacing him, you know. You heard he was leaving us today, didn't you? Leaving us? He just left. Cortez plays Mark Saunders, the hammy leading man in a new movie, The Earth is in Flames, which is ridiculing the Axis powers in Europe by making them all out to be lunatics. When the nefarious Nazis get wind of Hollywood's latest swipe at their dignity, they send a group of agents, played by Sig Ruman, Fritz Feld, and Luis Alberni, to go on over to Hollywood in time to sabotage the movie's world premiere. Hollywood Picture Company producing dangerous propaganda film showing our leader as assassin murdering 1,300 friends. Nonsense, our leader has no friends. Go on! This picture is detrimental to our interests. It must be destroyed. Signed, Field Marshal Miller. Was during Himmelgestoss? Why has this not been attended to? Instructions. Prepare passport papers. United States entry Hollywood. One man to sail immediately. Yes, secret positively. Matter concerning moving picture. This mission requires extraordinary talent. Who is the best man in our service? You are, Herr General. Why, thank you, Fritz. No. No, I cannot go. My country needs me here. They are coming back, Hagenheim. Fritz, you are right. This mission requires my personal attention. Thing is, the press agents trying to drum up publicity for the film have come up with a great idea. They'll hire some actors to pose as Nazi spies and appear at the movie premiere and spice things up for the public. Little do they realize that the shady men running around causing trouble are actual spies and that they've planted an actual bomb that's set to go off during the film's gala night. Blow up the theater, everything. Scuttle yourself. Us? Scuttle? You mean we are to stay here? Yes. How I envy you, Zasano. Make your things brief. Any last messages? Uh, no, they are too personal. I shall go myself. But fear, Marshal, this honor is too great. It is yours by right. Oh, no. Miller cannot afford the luxury of a hero's death. I must send out reports. As I say, very difficult to see this movie. It's not really available anywhere. And I do love a film in which Hollywood pokes fun at itself. This is one of the more savage in terms of acidity. And that is helped no end by the film's leading man, who plays the film's producer, Duncan DeGrasse. Now, if you want an overacting loche at the head of your screwball comedy, who better than the man himself? Stop talking to me. I won't listen to men who are on my payroll. You know me code. I may chop you too. Don't cross me. I'll chop anybody I want to. I'll go to the premiere alone. I don't need anybody but myself. Yes, John Barrymore plays the studio head, and let me tell you, all the laughs belong to John. Every time he rolls his R's or sets another diabolical little plan into action, I was rolling on the floor. He's superb. 
Ricardo Cortez as the actor who heads the bill, similarly, is brilliant. He's a dashing man of action when he's on set, but the moment he's not acting, he's the worst kind of love rat wimp. The scene where he attempts a seduction on the train is absolutely hilarious. It also features a stunning cast of the best supporting players in Hollywood. Eugene Palette plays the flustered financier of the movie. Francis Farmer plays the film's leading lady who can't understand why Cortez is trying to romance the other ladies in the cast when she's around. It's extremely entertaining. Not that it hangs together all that perfectly. It's about six or seven great scenes stitched together by six or seven forgettable ones. Still, it's definitely worth checking out, especially for Barrymore and Cortez, and for the fact that Hollywood satires are always wonderful fun. That's 1941's world premiere. And if you're interested in watching it, I have a copy of that movie in my classic movie library. So if you're a patron, then it's there to watch right now, along with The Phantom of Crestwood and Midnight Mary. On to some radio then, and something very vintage indeed for you. Ricardo Cortez, despite his fame and his prolific appearance on screen, wasn't on the radio very often, so finding an appearance by him was a little tricky. But all of a sudden, I did come across something which is kind of wonderful, and you'll see why. Now, you will have to excuse the name of this radio show, because it is somewhat laughable. It's called The Fleischmann Yeast Hour, which sounds like the name of a Wes Anderson film. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Fred and Ginger movies, but in those films, whenever someone turns on a radio set, you always find yourself listening to a cocktail of music and crooners and a little drama or two, all overseen by a special conductor live from the Moonlight Lounge in New York or something. Well, that is very much the vibe for the Fleischmann Yeast Hour. In fact, it even nods to Fred and Ginger themselves in the opening minutes as this episode was aired in 1936, just as their new movie Swing Time was about to be released. The show's MC is Rudy Valley, and alongside guest star Ricardo Cortez is another member of old Hollywood royalty, Louise Rayner, who just a few months later would win the Best Actress Oscar for The Great Ziegfeld. And so I leave you now in the company of Rudy Valley, music from Swing Time, Louise Rayner, and Mr. Ricardo Cortez for a delightful hour of radio. See you afterwards. The Fleischmann's Yeast Hour, directed by Rudy Valley. Tonight's stars, Louisa Reiner and Ricardo Cortez. Valley and Company. News and more news, as we told you last week, is the ringing keynote of this program's new summer policy. Here, then, are headlines for tonight's headliners. Louisa Reiner, MGM star to make radio bow. Valley Hour wins Hollywood permission for first broadcast by Viennese Beauty. We'll offer scene from The Great Ziegfeld. An utterly charming young lady, Miss Reiner. Already we love Louisa. Headline number two. Ricardo Cortez to play loyalist captain in drama of Spanish Rebellion. Newsweek magazine supplies background data for Story of War. It's been a long time since we've had Ricardo Cortez with us. Welcome back, Rick. Neela Goodell, radio songstress, signed for lead role in Broadway production. Celebrates with appearance on Valley Hour. Neela and I will sing together, too. And maybe that's news. Who knows? Frank Gabby, new comedian to face Valley Microphone. Mrs. William Underwood, winner of Husband Calling Contest in New England, completes cast. Our Newsweek colleagues brought us Mrs. Underwood, who will show us how, if not what, to call a husband. 
Our news, ladies and gentlemen, is your news. by the inclusion of three of the songs from the new Astaire Rogers RKO picture. Swing Time, the score by Jerome Kern and Dorothy Fields. colleagues, the editors of Newsweek magazine, commissioned to find for us the most unusual human interest story of the seven days just passed, emerged from conference late last night with an intriguing item out of East Hampton, Massachusetts. The story of a husband calling contest held by the Hampshire County Grange at Massachusetts State College. They brought us not only the story, but the winner of the tournament, Mrs. William Underwood of Mount Tom, Massachusetts, and the winner's husband, William himself. Mrs. Underwood won her title for the second consecutive year, incidentally, in competition with the very best husband callers for miles around. May we introduce her now, Mrs. William Underwood. (laughs) Mrs. Underwood, I'm a little hazy in the details of husband calling. When you call, do you call all husbands within earshot or just your own husband? Goodness gracious, no. 
just my own husband, of course. Then it wouldn't be dangerous for you to give us an example of your skill. Do you mind? Not at all, my boy. Uh, Shall I yell right into this microphone? Well, uh, I wonder about that. How far could your winning call be heard back home, I mean, in the contest? Uh, Pretty near a mile, they say. Well, in that case, perhaps you'd better turn away from the mic just a little bit. Uh, How's this? I'd say that's all right. Go ahead. Well, you... Valet, uh, this is Mr. Underwood. How do you do, sir? Tell me, Mr. Underwood, do you always come when called? Sure, that is, if it's around mealtime. But you you don't always come? No, can't say that I do. Oh, he's just boasting, Mr. Valet. You want to hear me call when I get mad. I'd like to, Mrs. Underwood. You mean that you can convey emotion in your call? Sure she can. Showing her mad call, darling. Uh, oh, whatever you say, dear... Uh, it sounds something like this. William! Uh, come in, dear. <laughs> I, get the, I, I get the idea. It occurs to me that you are aided in your calling, Mrs. Underwood, by the fact that your husband's name is a good one for the purpose. Suppose it were more difficult. Let us say, Richard. Oh, that's easy. Uh, we have a son by that name. Uh, just listen. Richard! Splendid. How are you on Aloysius? How about Patrick? Patrick! And uh, here's a difficult one. Montmorency. Montmorency! That high G was marvelous, Mrs. Underwood. You're a real champion and a real trooper, too. I want to thank you and Mr. Underwood for coming down to New York and for submitting to being kitted with such good grace. If there's anything I can do for you while you're in the big city... Uh, could you take us to one of those nightclubs, you know, where all those girls... Uh... William Albert! Come in, dear. I'd like to introduce someone very familiar to all of you. He used to be in the movies back in the good old days. He played with Theda Barra, Pauline Frederick, and many others. Yet he is only 28 years old now. You see, he played boy parts in those days. And this young veteran of the movies is the popular radio announcer, Ben Grauer. Thanks, Rudy. You know, in my announcing, it's not often I can speak from personal experience, but this is one time when I can. I remember very distinctly the trouble a high school friend of mine had with his complexion when we were around 16 or 17 years old. So I know what a handicapped skin eruptions can be and how much mental misery they can cause. I've since learned you have to expect skin troubles in your teens and early 20s. During these years, the structure of your skin is changing. And while it's changing, it's extra sensitive. So sensitive that when digestive poisons get into your blood, your skin is apt to break out with those ugly eruptions. I'm glad I can tell the young people of today there's now something very good for clearing up the skin. It's Fleischmann's yeast. When eaten regularly, this tonic food acts to cleanse the blood of those irritating poisons. Then almost always you see definite improvement in your skin. Very often your complexion becomes entirely smooth and clear. Eat one cake of Fleischmann's yeast a half hour before each meal. Doing this has helped young people all over the country get rid of skin troubles. Begin tomorrow. 
Springtime, the Rogers Astaire picture, Bojangles of Harlem. Papers of the world, east, west, north and south, from Moscow to Melbourne, from London to Tokyo, from Rochester to Rio, today's headline. Battle rages north of Madrid. Fascist armies converge on Spanish capital. Casualties climb in mountain warfare. Reds hold Barcelona. Claim recapture of Seville. Thousands die. Thousands die. Thousands... Out of today's headlines, a drama of today's news. Starring Ricardo Cortez, written hot off the front page by Robert Newman. A fictional story with factual background supplied by Newsweek magazine. Mr. Cortez, on vacation after completing the case of the caretaker's cat for Warners, interrupts a yachting cruise to be with us tonight. As his leading lady, we have chosen a young woman from Hollywood whose abilities and ambitions we recommend to producers, Miss Helen Brown. Ricardo Cortez with Helen Brown in Belief, a melodrama of the Spanish Revolt. Time today. Place, a narrow pass in the Guadarrama Mountains, some 30 miles north of Madrid. The fighting has swept this way. A small inn by the roadside gives evidence of violent strife in bullet-marked walls and shattered window panes. The innkeeper, a heavy man with a bald head, stands in the doorway, listening. There is a tramp of feet and a straggling column of nondescript fruits and ragged civilian attire comes into view. They wear the red armband of the loyalist militia. Most of them are young, laborers and peasants, obviously, with a sprinkling of university students. Their leader sees the inn and the innkeeper, calls an order. Come, halt! At ease, comrades. Good evening, friend innkeeper. You will find nothing here. They have taken everything. Everything. You have no food? None. Water? There's a spring behind the stables. Good. With your permission, comrade, or without it, for that matter, 
My men will rest here the night. You may share our rations if you're hungry. Gracias, senor capitan. Gracias. Carlos. Yes, capitan? We remain here until morning. The men will find shelter in the stables yonder. You will join me at the inn when a guard has been set. Yes, capitan. And now, innkeeper, perhaps you can give me some information. The militia column in command of Colonel Fuentes. It lies to the north, huh? Who knows? Yesterday, many wounded men from Fuentes' army came back this way. You... you spoke of food, senor capitan. We have brought little with us from Madrid. But you are welcome to a share of uh, what we have, comrade. We are very grateful, senor capitan. We? You are not alone? My... my niece and I. Come inside. Come. Maria! Maria! Maria, this is Senor uh... Gonzalo Cardona. At your service, Senorita. Capitan Gonzalo Cardona. He goes to join the army of Colonel Fuente. And his men, his men have food for us. That is very good news, Senor Capitan. We have been hungry. My lieutenant will see that you are supplied with what we can spare. If you wish to go now to the stable, I'm sure you can get bread and perhaps some meat. I shall go at once, Senor. At once. May I tell you again, Senor Capitan, how grateful we are, my uncle and I. Senorita, it's strange. You don't speak as if this province were your home. You sound as if you come from further north. I, I do. From near Burgos. Burgos? The rebels hold Burgos now, I believe. Yes, that, that's why I'm still here. I, I came for a visit and, and then the war broke out and, and I can't get back. Ah, I see for that matter, mi capitan, you don't talk like a soldier. <laughs> Until a short time ago, I taught history at the university in Madrid. A man doesn't have to be a soldier to fight for the faith of his mind and heart. A man. Or a woman, either. Tell me, do you think you'll be able to find Colonel Fuente's army in the morning? I've got to. It's not only a question of getting fresh men to him. I'm carrying important dispatches also. Orders for a coordinated air and infantry attack on the rebels here in the hills. I see. Then, of course, you must get to him or the attack might fail. Not might. It would, senorita. You you look terribly tired, senor capitan. Why don't you make yourself comfortable? Take off your jacket and that heavy pistol. You'll probably be living in your clothes for the next few weeks. Hmm. Yes. I probably will. Or dying in them. Oh, well, thank you. Ah, it's good to get rid of that. I'm not very used to guns as yet. <laughs> yes, I can see that. Here, I'll take it. You're very kind, senorita. Not at all. Put up your hands, senor capitan. Don't move. Don't move! You are very lovely, senorita. Even when you point my own revolver at my head. So you're a rebel, hmm? And I suppose what would be called uh, a spy. Yes. Rather dangerous work for a woman. You said yourself before that a man or a woman didn't have to be a soldier to fight for what he or she believed in. My father had an estate near Burgos. It lies in ruins now, and my father is dead. And my younger brother is lying somewhere in these hills. But enough of that. What do you intend to do? Those dispatches for Colonel Fuentes. I want them. Give them to me. Not while I continue to live and breathe, Senorita. Are they here? 
In your jacket? They're in this belt around my waist. Give them to me. Do you think I'm afraid to shoot? That's what I am most curious to discover, senorita. You think I'm afraid to shoot because if I do, your men will come in and kill me? I'm not afraid to die. <laughs> Very few of us are nowadays. For instance, I'm not. Before your men can shoot me, I will have destroyed the dispatches. Fuentes will not know when the attack is ordered for, and it will fail. Yes, senorita. If you shoot, I will die and the attack will fail. But you sit there so calmly. I don't understand. No, Maria. I can see that you don't. What do you mean? I told you that I have been a professor. Yes. What has that got to do with... Allow me, please, to let you once more before you pull that trigger. You see, in a sense, the whole of this war is focused, is being fought right here in this room. Yours is the ultimate dilemma, the last and final decision that every one of us must make. To die for what we believe in, that's easy. There are no consequences to face, and there is the glory of martyrdom. But to kill, to take human life, one must be very, very sure that one is right. Don't you think so, senorita? If one doubted, even wondered, I think the guilt would be too much to bear. And, and you think I doubt? If you have no doubt, senorita, then press the trigger. I, I have no doubt. Then press the trigger. But but you're so strong, so, so sure. And if you have the courage to shoot, then I will know if only for a moment that you too are sure. And if I knew that there were one fascist rebel who was completely unselfishly sure, then I would be willing to admit that there might be some justice in your cause. Do you doubt too much, Maria? Yes, I... I can't do it. I can't, I... I don't believe that much. And you, your faith is too strong for me. But you can't escape Gonzalo, the innkeeper. He's not my uncle. I was working with him. He didn't go to the stables for food. He's going to the top of the pass to light a signal fire, a signal fire that will bring rebel planes from the next valley at once. Look through the window there. He's running near the top of the hill. Give me the gun. Get it to me! Open the window. Get out. You, you killed him. Yes. You see, I have no doubt. I believe. What do you believe in? What faith makes you strong enough to kill? What do you believe in, Gonzalo? In something bigger than the life of one man and the brotherhood of all men. Fleischmann's East Hour continues with Neela Goodell, Frank Gabby, and Louise Reiner still to come. The magic show shop name of Ziegfeld lends glamour to two lovely girls in tonight's program. The Fraulein Reiner who played Anna Hell in MGM's picturization of the showman's career, and to Neela Goodell, who was a featured singer in the last production sponsored by the master himself. Radio listeners will recall her informal song parties on Sunday nights last season. Neela is a beauty in the best Ziegfeld tradition and an artist of authentic talent. Broadway news note, she has just been signed for the star role in the new Lawrence Schwab musical, Swing It, Susan. I'm very fond of Neela myself. 
And if that's news, Mr. Winchell, make the most of it. Miss Neela Goodell singing Wild Trumpet's Crazy Piano. sojourn in Dallas, Texas. I met Neela Goodell at a Sunday afternoon party and discovered that our voices blended perfectly. We spent a whole afternoon singing together. Here's one of the songs that the guests seem to enjoy most. We'll sing it for you now with Neela herself at the piano. I love you, I love you, I love you. You are the girl of my dream. I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank you. 
People interested in stars have been scanning the skies lately for Peltier's Comet, the most widely publicized one since Holly's famous comet, comet in 1910. This new comet was discovered by an amateur astronomer of Delphos, Ohio, Leslie Peltier. You've heard another amateur astronomer in this program many times. He's a vice president and charter member of the Amateur Astronomers Association. Our own Dr. R. E. Lee Valley. Though I have not yet discovered any comets, I enjoy very much my hobby of studying the stars. You know, a hobby often serves a very useful purpose. An interesting hobby would be particularly helpful to a young man or young woman suffering with skin troubles. It would help to prevent worry by keeping the mind occupied during this... Young people are bothered by their complexions between the ages of 13 and 25. As part of the process of growing up, the structure of the, of the skin changes. And during this period of change, the skin is extremely sensitive. It often breaks out when irritating poisons get into the blood from the digestive tract. It is advisable to clear the blood of these poisons. An effective way of doing this is to eat Fleischmann's yeast regularly, one cake half an hour before each meal. As your blood is freed of irritating poisons, skin eruptions diminish both in numbers and severity. In a large percentage of cases, the complexion becomes entirely clear and smooth. Thank you. When any 
everybody finds a comedian who has never been on the networks, who is also a good comedian, that, my friends, is news. We think we are making news tonight by introducing to you Frank Gabby, vaudeville veteran, for his radio debut. In vaudeville, Frank is a ventriloquist as well as a comic. But ventriloquism is hardly good radio. So tonight, I have been asked to substitute for the dummy, a task of which I am notably adept. This is Frank Gabby, newcomer. Hiya, boys. Hiya, Rudy. Hiya, folks. I'm sorry I'm late, but I was just up in the dressing room, and I was trying to think up something funny to make you and the boys in the orchestra laugh. Look, I was standing in front of the studio, and I overheard two women talking as was coming in. I bet you can't guess who they were. No, who were they? Mrs. Cock and Mrs. <laughs> Look, and Mrs. Cock said to Mrs. She says, I hear your husband is very sick. And Mrs. Cook said, yes, he's very sick. And Mrs. Cook said, what happened? And Mrs. Cook said, he ate some chicken and was poisoned. <laughs> and Mrs. Cook said, chicken poison on chicken croquette. And Mrs. Cook said, no, croquette, nobody's pretty sick. <laughs> I thought that was very funny, Rudy. Of course, you know, I don't have to tell jokes at all if I, if I don't want to eat. I mean, if I don't want to... You know why? I'll tell you why. Listen, I got a rich guy, Chuck Lone's a restaurant. I'll show you how, how honest he is. A man came in, forgot his change, left it on the counter, and my Scotch uncle was so anxious to call the man back. He wrapped on the window with a sponge. He wrapped on the window with a sponge. <laughs> Rudy, there's somebody in the audience heckling me. I know the answers, my boy. You don't have to tell me. Uh, everybody knows the answers. They told that here last week. Oh, they told her last week, huh? Yeah. Oh, they did, huh? Yeah. If I was your father, put poison in your coffee. If you was my father, I'd take it. <laughs> What's your name? Aloysius Pewter. 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 And Pewter you. <laughs> you know, Rudy, I was never so insulted in my life. I don't blame you, Frank. Say, what are you going to do about it? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going out and get a good stiff drink. <laughs> you know how to make a good stiff drink? Yeah, you put starch in your gym. I put starch in my... <laughs> I heard you that time. I'm not tough. I can hear you seeing that I painted on. How old are you anyway? Seventeen. Yeah? Yeah. Were you born? What do you think? I was hatched? <laughs> how old are you? Who, me? Yeah, you. How old are you? Go on, go on. Tell him. Don't be afraid of him. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, come on, tell us. How old are you? Uh, I'll be 34 next Tuesday. I bet you tell one you don't make it. <laughs> Pretty fresh guy, you are. Yeah, I'm a fresh guy. Yeah, you're fresh? My whole family's fresh. Yeah, what makes him so fresh? We sleep in cellophane pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> a boy like you shouldn't be allowed in a radio audience. Should he, Rudy? Absolutely not. No. A boy like you, a boy like you should be home, should be home swinging from a rafter. Ah, my mother don't want me hanging around the house. <laughs> I'm sorry you came in here anyway. Yeah, I'm sorry I come in here myself. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I should have gone to look for work. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? I carry car tracks. Oh, you carry car tracks, yeah. huh? What do you carry car tracks for? To make a living. What do you want to make a living for? So I can eat. What do you want to eat for? So I can be strong. <laughs> What do you want to be strong for? So I can carry car tracks. Oh, yeah? He's, he's too smart for one, boy. Yeah. You're too smart for one, boy. Yeah, my mother's got a picture of me when I was two. You know what side your bread is buttered on? What's the difference? I eat both sides. Are you sure? I'm positive. <laughs> Only a jackass is positive. Are you sure? I'm... Oh, yeah? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I will now give my impression of an old-fashioned ventriloquist, which I think is very cleverly rendered. Is there a dummy in the audience? Don't worry, you're doing great. <laughs> hey, you, you, you can't talk to me like that. Do you know who I am? I don't even care. I'm the meanest man on earth. Yeah? Yeah. 
the only kind of music that I care to hear. When they play a ten to one, a villain will appear. Well, here I am, a villain true to life. I've got two starving children and a wife. I'm an 18-carat muzzler, and without a doubt, I'm the kind of a man my old man warned me about. I'm the meanest man on earth. I hate the birds, I hate the bees, I hate the flowers, I hate the trees. Nothing gives me greater mirth than to read about the starving refugees. Oh, my heart beats so ecstatically, my cup of joy's complete when the sheriff most emphatically puts a widow on the street. I don't know how much dough I'm worth, but I do know I'm the meanest man on earth. I love to wander through the fields beneath the summer skies and stick a lot of rusty pins and lovely butterflies. <laughs> and shoot a pretty daisy, push its head up in my track, I love to plant my heel upon his head and shove it back. Menageries appeal to me. I bring along my cane. And I prod the helpless animals. Why? Because it gives them pain. I read the times and search crimes and over them I gloat. Mmm, how I love the man who cuts himself a slice of throat. The beggar who is blind and crippled always cheers me up. I break his pencil, steal his can and throw his cup. I love to slip a razor blade into a baby's hand and take away his lollipop and fill it full of sand. Children never learn to swim who follow my advice. I always duck them three times and let them come up twice. But most of all, I have my fun with window cleaning chaps. I wait until they're leaning out. Then I cut their straps. I'm the meanest man on earth. I love to throw banana skins and let old people break their shins. I've been nasty since my birth. I'm the guy that fills the new shirts full of pins. If by some chance or another the state electrocuted me, I'd get you, my friend. Oh, me? Yeah, make you sit on my knee. If I should die, I'd leave my family broke. So tonight I kill myself just for a joke. <laughs> third song from RKO's Swing Time with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, Jerome Kern's score, A Fine Romance. A fine romance with no kisses, a fine romance, my friend, this is we should be like clams in a dish of chowder But we just fizz like parts of a scentless powder A fine romance with no clinches A fine romance with no pinches You're just as hard to land as the Ile de France I haven't got a chance This is a fine romance A 
Nearly two weeks ago, we heard a rumor that Louise Reiner was in New York, or at least somewhere in the East. Louise Reiner, one of the very, very small group of movie stars who had never been on the radio. Louise Reiner, lovely lady of escapade, of the great Ziegfeld, of the just-completed Good Earth. Frantic search, pulling of strings, searching out of angles, many an urgent wire, all failed to locate the exact whereabouts of the girl from Vienna. Then all of a sudden, a phone call from Louise herself. I've heard you are looking for me, she said. But MGM does not want me to make radio. However, I would like to do it. Maybe you can arrange it, no? So thanks to several very good friends, we arranged it. Louise Reiner is with us tonight for her radio debut. You will hear her in a scene from The Great Ziegfeld, which is just completing a lengthy run at the Astor Theater. On the eve of the picture's general release in the theaters of the world, Louise Reiner as Anna Held, with Horace Braham as Ziggy in The Great Ziegfeld. Anna Held Suite at the Hotel Savoy in New York a good many years ago. Brought to New York from Paris by the great Ziegfeld, Anna is rehearsing a song for her first American show and thinking a great deal more about the charming Ziggy than about the song. At the piano is Pierre, hired by Ziegfeld to correct Anna's pronounced foreign accent. He's become a trifle impatient with the preoccupied songstress. I tell you again, madame, the word in English is jolly, not jolly, not jolly, s'il vous plaît. Please, begin again now. It's delightful to be married, to be, 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 be married. With a house, a man, a family, you should be happy like a bumblebee, but it's better to be jolly. Please, 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 it is jolly, 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 not jolly, please. But it's better to be jolly, to be, 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 be. No, 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 no. It's no use. I cannot sing today. I'm too much inside here. Much too much. Besides, it is so silly for Anna Hale to take singing lessons. Mr. Ziegfeld did not ask me to teach Madame to sing. I merely tried to assist Madame to lose a little of her accent. I do not have to lose my accent. I have no accent. I can say just exactly the same way you say just. Just, madame. Just, just, what, just. That's what I said, just. Marie! Oui, madame? Marie! Did you not call Mr. Ziegfeld again? He's not at home, madame. And the reporters? Are still waiting in the lobby, madame. Tell them to go away. Marie, tell the hotel to push them out. Say, say I'm going back to France. Yeah. That's what I will do. I will go back to Paris. Marie, pack my things. Pierre! Shut up! I'm too happy, madame. Happy? About what? We are sailing for Paris. We are not. No? No? No, Marie. I changed my mind. <laughs> Unpack the thing. You see, Marie, it is true. It is not. It is. It is not. It is. What is true and what is not? See, yes, there's Madame is in love with Mrs. Ziegfeld. Did you say that, Pierre? Yes, Madame. How can I love someone who plays tricks on me? It's terrible things in paper. Has millions of reporters annoying me. Oh, pardon the presumption, Madame. But the newspaper have been very kind to you. Why won't you see the reporters? Because I know what it is they want to ask me. You do not understand, no? Frankly, no, madame. Oh, 
Oh, then I will tell you what happened. Two months ago, Flo... I mean, Mr. Dixit. Flo says to me, Anna, from now on I'm going to send you a present every day. I say, thank you so much, Flo. I mean, Mr. Dixit. But already you send me the orchids every morning. Those on the table are from him. Then he says, this is something much more important. So naturally, I cannot wait to see what he sends. And the next day, what do you think I get? A diamond ring? No. A bracelet? No. Four big cans of milk. Milk? Oh. Twenty gallons. Twenty gallons of milk. Twenty gallons of milk. Yes, shut up. Oh, Miss Hell. Well, that night I said to Flo, I mean, Mr. Dixon, why do you send so much milk? And he laughs and says, Anna, that's a great idea. You get it every day from now on. Twenty gallons of milk every day? I said, Flo, who can drink so much milk? And he just smiles and says, don't drink it, bath in it, and you will be a big success. Well, I'm too angry to speak. In Paris, I'm a success because of my singing. In London, I'm a success because they like my voice. When in America, to be a success, I need 20 gallons of milk and a fish in it. And did you bathe in it, madame? No. But every day the milk comes, and each time we take it because Flora, Mr. Yitzhak, says he must carry out his idea. And what happened? Did you see what is in the paper today? Mary, Mary, come on. Read it to him. Big belt. Two for Anna Helm's milk bill. On the front page. Oh, I'm so ashamed. Mary, call him again. If he's not there, just leave a message for him. Say, I do not want one more can of milk for me. And I do not want the orchids either. I throw them. Go. <coughs> Tell them no, Marie. Positively no, I will not see them. Hello? Oh, it's Mr. Victor, madame. I will not talk to him either. Tell him I never wish to talk to him again, Marie. Well, see. In the lobby, madame. Tell him to come out. <laughs> madame has nothing But if he brings one reporter, do not let him in. Madame yeah, leave the orchids on the floor. I want him to see them there. I make him pick them up. He embarrasses me. I embarrass him. If Madame will take my advice, she will not appear so excited. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, oh, play, Pierre. I sing for you, yes? Just like it's not here. We make him wait until I'm finished, yes? Go on, play, please, please, Pierre. Play. It's delightful to be married. To be, 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 be married. With a house, a man, a family. You should be happy like a bumblebee. Good morning, Anna. Marie, somebody has carelessly spilled the orchid. Call my office tomorrow for me and have them send another dozen immediately. Why do you not pick this up, Mr. Dixit? Because fallen flowers are like fallen stars. They soon lose their luster. Marie, pick them up. Go away, Pierre, please, go away. I told you I cannot sing today. So, I'm a foreign star, yes? 
I have no lobster, no. Oh, yes, you have. Uh, but do you know what it's from? I don't care. What? Milk baths. At least that's what you must tell the reporters. Oh, I'm so hard. I'm so humiliated. The front page of the paper says, you're sued on my account. If you must send me milk, why don't you pay for it? Well, if I did, it wouldn't be in the papers. Marie, tell the reporters to come up. Marie, do nothing of the kind. All right, I'll go. If they come up, I'll tell the truth. Uh, death, please. At first, don't tell them anything, Anna. Pretend embarrassment. Pretend it? I was never so ashamed. Hello, hello, Jasper. Um, are the, uh, are the gentlemen of the press still waiting for Miss Held? Good. Ask them to come up. I will say I never talk, take a milk bath in my life. I will tell them it is a press story. I will go back to France. Yes, yes. Marie, back to things quick. This time I mean it. Anna, don't you realize if we put this story over, your name will be in headlines from coast to coast. Every woman in America will be talking about you, imitating you. I do not care. I do not have to be a cow to be a success. Besides, you do nothing as I like. It must always be your way. I've asked many times for customs like Lillian Russell. She doesn't have to take milk baths to be a big success. No. Before I make such a big fool of myself, I tear up my contract with you. Oh, Anna. I mean it. I'm determined. Anna. You tell them what has come up yet? No. I will tell them everything. Anna. Well, I should tell them, no. Anna. Please. Yes, hello. What shall I do? You, you do as I want you to do, dear. And I'll do whatever you wish. You mean you let me have gone like Lillian Russell? No, darling. You're not her type. What? But I'll tell you what I will do. What? I'll put ten Lillian Russells on the stage behind you. No. No. Anna. Yes, no. <laughs> you're... You're not really going back to Paris, are you? No. No. <laughs> Pierre. Yes, Mr. Victor. Play Anna's song. Please, sing it, Anna. For me. It's delightful to be married. To be, 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 be married. With a house, a man, a family, you should be happy like a bumblebee. But it's better to be jolly, to be, 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 be jolly. When you laugh and play the live long day, oh, that's a life for me. Just we go there, don't say, Peter, say, you know, not, you know, I'm an amateur. Come on, go, go, Summer One-Nighters of the Valley Company finds us in Detroit over the weekend. What could be more appropriate than a collection of automobile parodies that the salesmen sing at automobile conventions? To Detroit, the automobile city, we offer our automobile medley. A-D-I-L-L-A-C spells Cadillac Out of every nut and bolt that's in her Never a word you can say again her C-A-D-I-L-L-A-C 
I-L-L-A-C-U-C It's a car that a horse has never been connected with Cadillac for me Bubbling you and I To the church we'll swiftly steal Then the wedding bells will peal You can go as far as you like With me in my merry Oldsmobile Making Cadillac unhappy To think what we'll do in the 32 To the General Motors crew Oh, the 35 Ford has a new sort of thing For making it ride like a bird on the wing On good roads are bumpy, no sides Where a swing and a call if you set a prize It's the nuts. Dark old engine 
it was this, and then he'd have to get under, get out and get under. Two things about his heart, come Not to change the subject, but if Cleopatra's nose had been a bit shorter, the world would have been very different. Our authority for that statement is Pascal, the 17th century philosopher. Cleo with a stubby nose would never have charmed Caesar and Anthony. Trifles in appearance do make a difference, as Ben Grower is here to tell the young people. Usually, there's not much difference between the young man or woman who's very popular and the boy or girl who's left at home most of the time. In many cases, the main difference is that one has a nice, smooth complexion, while the other is bothered with skin troubles. Now, it's not just that a broken-out skin hurts your appearance. It also spoils your poise and self-confidence. It's hard to be your natural self while you're conscious of those ugly eruptions on your face or back. You've probably wondered many times why you have to be plagued in this way. But it's because you're young. Between the ages of 13 and 25, the structure of your skin is changing. And while it's changing, it's very sensitive and breaks out when digestive poisons are in your blood. What you need to do is to clear these poisons out of your system. A good way to do this is to eat Fleischmann's yeast regularly. This fresh yeast acts to purify your blood. As you get rid of irritating poisons, eruptions go away. Your skin becomes clear. Don't go on letting a bad skin hold you down. Begin tomorrow. Eat one cake of Fleischmann's yeast a half hour before each meal. Advanced news flash for next week. Charles Butterworth, now in the high seas, will arrive in New York in time to appear with us on the Fleischmann Sheets Hour next Thursday, along with the up, other up-to-date minute personalities. Tomorrow night, the Valley Company is in Olean, New York. Saturday and Sunday in Detroit, Eastwood Gardens. Monday and Tuesday at the fair in Cleveland. We'll be seeing you. This is Rudy Valley bidding you all good night. from Springtime. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that was Ricardo Cortez, Louise Rayner, Rudy Valley, and the yodeling lady with a high-pitched voice in the Fleischmann's Yeast Hour. <laughs> Which I think is a rather sweet way to spend an hour. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember that if you would like instant access to almost 200 bonus editions of this show all ready to listen to on your very own private podcast feed all you have to do is sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash secret not only do you get those you also get a weekly invitation to our film club each sunday we watch a movie that you choose you get your name in the credits of every episode and you also get instant access to my classic movie library, where all the films I told you about today, plus hundreds more, are now ready for you to watch. Just go to patreon.com slash secret or look for the link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you once again for listening. I'll be back very soon with more old Hollywood splendor, but until then, take superb care of yourselves and those you love, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www. 
attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.